if we're not willing to step on our fear, even intense fear, even stuttering fear, right? Um, stuttering, shaking fear. If we're willing to step on that fear with some courage, you never know how magnificent the answer will be. And it might so far exceed what, what you expected. So again, you have everything to gain and nothing to lose. Welcome to the Career Nation Show, where you learn the strategies and tools to own and drive your career. Find out more at careertiger.com. Welcome to the Career Nation Show. Today, we are so lucky to have Mark Victor Hansen and Crystal Dwyer Hansen on the Career Nation Show. They don't need any introduction, but for the maybe the 0.5% of the folks that might not know about them, let me share a little bit about Mark and Crystal. You may know Mark as a best-selling author. He's authored over 35 books. Probably he's best known for Chicken Soup for the Soul. And with more than 500 million Chicken Soup for the Soul books sold worldwide, more than 100 licensed products, it's probably one of the most successful publishing franchises on the planet today. Mark is widely known as an American inspirational, motivational speaker. He's a trainer, author, serial entrepreneur, and member of multiple boards of directors. You may have seen him across mediums such as television. He's been on Oprah, on CNN, to Today Show. He's been on print, in Time, US News and World Report, USA Today, New York Times, and of course, The Entrepreneur. Mark is also a passionate philanthropist and a humanitarian. Mark has helped so many charity organizations out there. Horatio Algar Scholarships, Habitat for Humanity, American Red Cross, Operational Smile, and so many more. And currently, he's the co-chairman with his beloved wife, Crystal, of Child Help Global Fundraising Campaign. Let me share a little bit about Crystal. Crystal is an international speaker. She's a researcher, a corporate consultant, an author, and an entrepreneur. Her expertise is in the field of human potential. And through her years spent as a transformational life coach and a wellness nutrition expert, she has seen people experience profound lasting transformation in relationships, in career, in health and wellness. And she's done that by tapping into their own inner resources. Crystal's research in the field of neuroscience right down to quantum physics provides the scientific knowledge that she uses in her practice. Her, her book, Skinny Life, The Secret to Being Physically, Emotionally, Spiritually Fit, is available on Barnes & Noble and on Amazon. She travels the world with Mark, and of course, she speaks, inspires, and teaches leadership. Here's the thing. Crystal and Mark have just released a wonderful co-written book called Ask, The Bridge from Your Dreams to Your Destiny. Please join me in welcoming Mark and Crystal to the Career Nation show. Mark and Crystal, welcome to the show. We're thank honored you. and thank you. Thank Happy you. To be It'll here be a pleasure you. to be with you and everybody listening and watching. Thank you. Thank you so much. And how are you guys doing? Are, are you getting Scottsdale right now? Yes, we're in Scottsdale. It's beautiful. We're starting to see the temperatures trend down a little bit. We're finally going to break a hundred this week and stay below <laughs> triple digits. And we're super excited when we get down into like an easy 89, 90 degrees. We're thrilled. That's cool for us. 
you know, it's wonderful. And hopefully the temperatures cool down and get even better weather. By the way, you guys are looking great. It's interesting that, you know, many of the folks that I've been talking to recently have mentioned that, you know, yes, we are in COVID times and let's acknowledge that. But at the same time, even though it may seem difficult and challenging, but many people are saying this is one of the most creative, one of the most productive times of their lives. Do you guys feel similarly? I'll go first and then she gets to answer also. But the fact of the matter is that in 1898, when America went into depression, four things came out of it. The little boys flew an airplane called Orville and Wilbur. A guy created Ringy Dingy, the telephone named Alexander Graham Bell. (laughs) Another guy drifted and made a little thing called internal combustion engines and changed the world. And then you know, all those things happened, and then electricity was found by Edison. And the same thing happened in 29. So what we're saying in our corporate symbol is a butterfly, I think you know, you cannot look at caterpillar, predict crystallis, which is where we're at. But we're in the cocoon. Eight billion of us are in a cocoon. It doesn't matter whether it's India or Africa or Europe or here. We're all in it. But when we come out, we're going to be high-flying butterflies. And what we've discovered, because we've been doing all these creative meetings, is that when people read Ask, they buddy up with somebody and ask every question, and they figure out how to repivot, reorient, reinvent, and find that they've got brilliance inside. My wife likes to say, four times more talent than any of us ever emerged. So we're cheering people on to wake up during this shutdown sequestration. Exactly. Yeah, no, and I just wanted to add to that, that you know we released a book in, in the middle of a pandemic, <laughs> and we had this conversation about whether to go forward with it or not. And when Mark and our publisher and I met, we all decided, you know what, we need to go forward. The bookstores might be closed, but they can get it on Amazon, which is where 80% of the books are sold anyway. And this book was made for these times, truly, because we're all sequestered. And we all sort of had an intuitive feeling about that, that the world needed this book now more than ever. And uh, because we're all having to kind of take a new look, a fresh look at our lives. And we have had this sort of, you know, undistracted time to do that. And so what a great time to start asking yourselves those questions that in many cases have been long overdue. May I add one more thing, Abhijit? And it is, when the publisher called, he had COVID and said, you want to push it back? We said, no, 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 no. I take adversity my whole life with 309 bestsellers and turn into advantage. And what's true is that we did, we both knew podcasting, but suddenly we had a switch because there's no bookstores to go to. I mean, we had one meeting with 11,000, one with 15,000. So we were going to sell a lot of books. And a guy calls up and said, I lost $5 million. You guys aren't getting paid. I didn't get paid. And the meetings were canceled. So all of a sudden we've done these podcasts. And I got to tell you, we've done them absolutely everywhere. Like sometimes five a day, two in America, one in Canada, one in Israel, one in India and in Australia. And it just, it's been mind blowing. We did 10 million people in Vietnam. And if you told me that that would work, I would have said, well, I, I think the world of you, but how is that going to work? But on Amazon, everybody is buying our book. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a brand new world, but you've got to read Vector to see where you're at and where you fit in, which we'll talk about. Oh, you're so right. And there's so many nuggets that you just dropped right there that I would love to unpack, quite <laughs> frankly. And, you know, you're right. I mean, people are in a cocoon. They're not traveling anywhere. They've got some more time on their hands, even though they might have been busy before, they've got time to basically re- look within themselves and reimagine, reinvent themselves, and quite frankly, create value for others. And, I, and thank you to you, I got the opportunity to read Ask, and 
it's quite frankly one of the most inspiring, one of the most useful books I've read. And I've, I've come to realize how asking, how the simple act of asking questions can transform our lives, our relationships, our careers, our businesses. And I would love to know a little bit about sort of the backstory of the book. Like, how did you guys come to conceptualize Ask? And how did this book come about? Did you guys, it, was it always for the last so many years in the back of your mind, hey, I want to write a book about asking some really good questions that help us pivot? Or was it like, a, like an inspiration that hit you at some point and said, oh, you know, this might be a book. Tell us some backstory about that. Right. So Mark and I realized at some point that, you know, throughout any troubles we've had in our lives historically, we've always used questions to get ourselves out of it. I mean, questions, asking the right questions has always been an important part of our transition and transformation out of more difficult situations and to find answers, to find new beginnings and that sort of thing. So what we started noticing is most people, like Mark was saying, have you know, four times more talent and ability than they'll use in, in, in this lifetime. But for so many, they're not, they're not tapping into that. And we see people that are so qualified and we're going, this guy could be running a city or this woman could be running a company and, and they're barely getting by. They're barely making ends meet, even though they're charming, smart, educated, whatever, all of these things. And so we're like, what is the difference? What is the difference between people who are super successful and tend to get what they want out of life and those who don't? And we realize that it's sort of this holding back and not asking for what you want. And that there's the simple act of asking changes everything. There is nothing, there is literally no mechanism that has the ability to reveal what is hidden like asking. And so we thought, what an amazing thing if we could teach people this one tool, because it's a simple tool that we were all born with, but it's kind of been crushed out of us, to be honest with you. I mean, if you think about children when they're born, right, we're all born with this insane curiosity and we want to know who, what, when, where, why, how. And we also want to constantly ask for more, 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 right? Absolutely. But over time through whatever kind of parenting we had or schooling or job situations or just basically, you know, basic life rejection, that ability and that desire to ask, it kind of gets, starts to get crushed out of us. And we don't even realize it's happening until we look at our lives and feel so disappointed and so stuck. Yeah, we don't know how to get out of it. And, and learning to be a master askers is truly the way. It's the key to start changing everything. You're so right. And, and quite frankly, I think that, yes, all of those things are true. And what is happening to us now is also we live in this connected world. We've got our devices all the time. And this questions that we need to ask of ourselves and ask others so that we can actually discover ourselves in a new way, they, those questions don't get asked. No. And do you guys find like when you interact with so many people and you quite frankly meet so many people, like is this sort of digital hamster wheel that you also mentioned in the book, does that come in the way of us really asking the right questions so that we can actually move, make progress in our lives? A hundred percent. We said, look, there's seven roadblocks to asking. And the one that you just hit on is disconnection because everyone says, well, you don't understand. I got a screen and I got a cell phone. <laughs> well, look, I went bankrupt in 1974. So I'm empathetic and sympathetic to everybody that's hanging on by their fingernails. I was 
at the top. I built the Wall Street Rocket Club, Botanical Gardens, Aviaries, Cat Cages. And I was 26 and I was a hot shot because I'd been in graduate school with the smartest guy on the planet, Bucky Fuller, Dr. Fuller, who is Einstein's best student, as you may know, or one of. And now I'm bankrupt and I'm sleeping in a sleeping bag in front of another guy's bedroom for six months. And I suddenly went, remember, we're asking, ask yourself, ask others, ask God. And I asked myself, well, what do I want to do? And I said, well, I want to talk to people that care about things that matter that would make a life transforming permanent legacy difference. And so I went to my roommates in Hicksville, Long Island, New York, right? Nowhere. And I said, hey, any of you guys know anyone that is not a celebrity, not famous, not a medical doctor, not a lawyer, and young enough that I could relate to talking? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this kid in Hawpog talking to 500 of us in real estate today. Here's my ticket. Go. I took my little beat up old Volkswagen to bankruptcy court to not taken. This guy wowed me for three hours. I asked him afterwards. I go up and say, Chip Collins, I'm your new best friend. I need to ask you how to do that. He said, kid, you ain't going to make it one in a thousand chances you could make it. It ain't going to happen for you, but I'll tell you what to do if you're buying a free lunch. I said, okay, I'll buy lunch. I'll buy lunch. So turns out, he said, stay out of real estate. I own the five boroughs. You do life insurance. I'll tell you exactly what to ask. He did. I did only Tony Robbins and I, as far as I know, did a thousand talks a year the first three years in a business because I either was talking or selling, talking or selling, you know, 18 hours a day. So I built, and then people said, well, do you have it in a book? And the first book I did was Stand Up, Speak Out, and Win, because they said, that story's got to be in a book. And I sold it to my little audiences. I didn't have any publisher. I said, this isn't a New York Times bestseller. This isn't a Wall Street Journal bestseller. This isn't a national bestseller, but it's my bestseller. And it would be my honor, Abhijit, to sign it to you. And if you've got a wife or spouse and kids, I'll sign to it. I want everyone to read it. And we sold 20000 at $10 each and made $200,000. Now, once again, I've come from the bottom to the top. I got a new car. I, I am thinking... Oh my God, I've died and gone to heaven. If, if it didn't get any better, I thought I'd arrive. <laughs> what an amazing story. And, and, you know, both of you have had such incredible journeys. And Crystal, you've had your fair share, more than fair share of challenges. <laughs> you had a two-year-old, you were struggling, and then you asked questions that you, you were able to break into a completely new career. Can you please share your story as well? Sure, because I think it's important for people to know, you know, when you look at someone really successful or has had a certain amount of success in life, and it just seems easy. We all do that. We look as human beings, we look at people and go, gosh, they just have it naturally. Everything comes easy to them. I wish it did for me, but it's never true, right? We all go through these incredible challenges. And for me, mine started quite young. I was one of those kids who um, found high school to be really boring and easy. So I accelerated my curriculum, graduated at age 16, and married my boyfriend who was five years older. Not a good life plan, right? So, you know, two and a half years later, I find myself in a new city by myself, no family, no friends, baby on my hip, divorced, and honestly, no idea how I was going to earn money and take care of myself. So I did what I could, all I could think of was to apply for food stamps. I'd heard about food stamps. So I applied for those. And I remember going to the grocery store the first time to exchange my food stamps for my groceries. And I stood there and it was like I had this huge epiphany. And it honestly felt like time slowed down and I had a hot light shining on my head because I was like, first, and a question just dropped into my mind. And it was, how did I get here? Followed by a second question, are you doing everything you can to get out of this? Or are you taking the easy way out? And the second my mind asked that question, I knew the answer. I knew that I was taking the easy way out. I knew I wasn't doing everything that I could possibly do 
to get out of the situation. So it was like I had this complete 180 flip. And by the time in that, those seconds, by the time I turned over my food stamps to the woman, I will never forget looking at her and thinking, this will not be my future. And it's almost like I did it with so much conviction. I probably looked a little fierce to her. <laughs> and so I went home and thought, you know, I just, I'll, I don't have any answers, but I do have questions. And so I just started asking a whole bunch of questions. How can I go to work tomorrow? How can I make money tomorrow? What is available for someone with my skills or lack of uh, to, to, to do, to, to earn money? So, you know, I'd worked in, my dad was an attorney and I'd worked in his office. So I, I applied, I had heard on the radio about Kelly services. So I applied there, filled up the paperwork and they would start feeding you opportunities based on your skill set. And pretty soon I had some jobs coming at me. Then I realized there were other temporary service agencies. So I, I registered for all three of them thinking I'll have a better selection of jobs every day. And I started doing all these jobs, like filling in at attorney's offices and, you know, uh, doing sales at conventions that were coming through town and things like that. And I started enjoying it and really discovering something about myself. And that was that I really liked business. I like sales and I loved just working with people and being out there with people and making things happen. And so I, at that point, I decided to put myself to real estate school, saved enough money. And I graduated from that. In the meantime, someone approached me and said, you should do some modeling. So I approached the largest talent modeling agency in our town. And I asked them if they would sign me, which they did. And fortunately, I, I, did some, I did some television commercials. I was cast for those and they went national. So I started getting these incredible residual checks. And when you get, make a certain amount of money in, in royalty, residuals, we call them, in yep. the industry, that you have, you have to join Screen Actors Guild, have to. And then you get all the benefits of you know, insurances and stuff, which was great for me and my little boy. We, we suddenly had great benefits. So literally a year, a little more than a year and a half from the time I was turning those food stamps over for groceries, I now was working for the largest home builder in our valley. I became the number one salesperson for the company and I'm getting great benefits from, from my modeling and, and royalties, residuals, checks from that. And so I often thought back at that, that pivotal moment where those questions came to me and I'm so thankful that I was able to ask myself those tough questions because sometimes we have to be tough on ourselves. We kind of need to parent ourselves. We need to ask ourselves the tough questions. And then we also need to be honest enough to answer them truthfully, right? Be courageous enough to say, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not doing my best. I can do better. Oh, absolutely, Crystal. And there's, again, so many things you mentioned there that are worth, you know, worth talking about, you know, this, this incredible story where you were literally down and it was, it was those questions that prompted you to think in a different way. And then you started to make those moves. And just in so many years, you were able to not only come out of that situation, but actually do really, really well. And quite frankly, now being very successful. I, I also think that there's part of that is also asking questions and being truthful to yourself and being really honest when you're answering those questions or finding answers to your questions. And by the way, thank you so much for sharing your journeys. And it's, it's, it's rare to find leaders like you who are vulnerable, who are telling so many personal stories about themselves. So thank you for sharing that. And speaking of personally, we would love to know you guys a little bit more. 
and we're going to shift gears and we're going to play a game called favorites. Are you guys ready for our favorites game? We are ready. Yes. <laughs> Outstanding. Sweet. So what we're going to do, what I'm going to do is ask you a favorite thing and you're going to tell us what's your favorite thing and why. And our first question is, what's your favorite app? Go ahead, you <laughs> You're going to laugh. My favorite app, honestly, is Slumber because I have a really active mind at, at, at night and I'll start thinking and my mind will just, you know, not stop. So I literally, Slumber has all these like bedtime stories and they're just these random stories. It can be like a cat walking through the woods or whatever. And just listening to those stories helps me just, you know, distract my mind from all the things I'm thinking about and, and just follow the story and then I can drift off to sleep. So I love the app slumber. <laughs> so one of your neighbors is my favorite app, Reed Hoffman, who I expect, you know, I've never met him, but he created LinkedIn and he's a investor and all that, but he did this thing called scaling. And I started listening to it on podcasts. I went, Holy cow. Cause I own, we own a company called natural power concepts.com, which we've got pop-up windmills called wind charger and pulsating waves. So we have enough water to put out all the fires in California and the company's got some giant orders now, but it's amazing to me that we learned all this stuff. It, it, that I didn't know existed. Obviously, I've scaled book sales more than anybody else. So someday, if you introduce me to Reed, I want to meet him. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, great apps. Thank you. Thanks for sharing those. And you've, you've written so many books, and you guys have traveled so much. The next question is about a favorite quote. Have you come across a quote in your meetings, in your travel, that you really appreciate or you, you really love? Yes, and I, I love so many quotes, so this is kind of a hard one for me, but I think one of my favorite ones is, live life as if everything's rigged in your favor by Rumi. I mean, why not, right? Because when you anticipate the best, you magnetize the best for yourself. And too many people project all the negativity that's being generated from their own minds. You know, they're either like thinking about the past failures or projecting their fears from into the future. And so if you just live life as if everything is rigged into, in your favor, how beautiful is that? Oh, it's outstanding. Maybe all of this COVID situation is also rigged in our favor so that we can our creative and productive best. Yeah, right. We sort of believe that, although it's really tough for a lot of people to go through it, 30 million or 50 million unemployed, whatever it is. I, I wrote uh, a quote book and I keep expanding it, of course. So one of my favorite quotes is mine, which is the size of your thinking determines the size of your result. And, and being in Silicon Valley and formerly Bangalore, the size of the thinking being done there is the only thing, as far as I'm concerned, with technology. Bucky used to teach technology as the fruit of absolute fundamental abundance. So we can go to Utopia rather than oblivion. And, and so I am, I am very keen on all that. And so Bucky, my teacher's favorite quote would be, you know, for the first time ever, we can take care of 100% of humanity and make us physically and economically successful. No other age group, generation, or life has been able to do that in the 15 billion years of planet Earth. That is so true. Amazing. I love that. I'm feeling so inspired. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, the next one is going to be super hard for both of you, but I'm just going to lay, lay it on the table. Which is your favorite book? That is super hard because there are so many books <laughs> that I love so much. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name a book that most people haven't heard of. And I just love it. It really influenced me in the work that I do. It's called The Molecules of Emotion by Dr. Candace Pert. And she's just a brilliant scientist. And she studied the interaction of our thoughts and emotions with our body. 
And you know, were, are these things two separate disconnected systems or are they one integrated system that, that is a constant feedback loop? And truly the, the evidence shows through her research and findings that we are one integrated system. So our emotions matter, our thoughts matter. It creates real chemistry in our brains. In fact, Deepak Chopra says that you know, we have an, a pharmacy in our, in our brains, that a pharmacy of chemicals that cascades through all the time. So these things are so important to remember because they don't just live in your mind, they live in your body and they can cause health problems and just problems with how you live and how you project your future. If you understand the connectedness, then you start to pay attention to your thoughts and what you're feeling. And just what we, we just said about the quote about Rumi, you know, living life as, as if everything's rigged in your favor, that's a thought that will create positive emotions in your body. And so I just, I, I recommend that book to anyone. So I could go on and on. <laughs> <but I won't. laughs> um, I'll do the same. Uh, a totally book that most people won't know called Resurrection. And he's talking about resurrecting inside out. A lovely guy named Neville Goddard, but he goes by just Neville, N-E-V-I-L-L-E. And what he says is you've got to live in the assumption of the wish fulfilled. So you've got to be there, which we teach in our book called Come From the End Result. And because his book astounded me 50 years ago, I did a set of tapes, which were the top tapes with Nike Alcona called Visualizing is Realizing. And in my blower, because of this thing happening, book sales, as you may know, are way up because people are sequestered. So mm -hmm. our publisher came back and said, hey, we want you to do it as a book. And they sent it back to me. I've finished it now. It's going to be a superb book. Comes out next month, actually, called Visualizing is Realizing. And I got to tell you, you take something from 50 years ago and you go, wow, that was really cool. But now I've updated it to where we are because all of us, what you see is what you get. You've got to see with your inner eye what you want in your outer experience, which is we're pretty masterful at. Wow. Those are brilliant books. I love it. And thank you for sharing those. And we'll put those in the show notes so that, so that our audience can take advantage of those books as well. And of course, we'll talk about Ask and all of the other books that you published. The next question is about your favorite food. <laughs> we love food. I love all kinds of food. <laughs> you know what? I, if I had to pick the favorite, this is truly one of my favorites, and, or if not my favorite. It's so special. Peking duck. I love Peking duck. And we've actually traveled through China a lot. And we have had dinner. We've had Peking duck at the original Peking duck restaurant where, where the dish was created, which is in Beijing. It was a lot of fun. We just slurped down Peking duck like, like it was nobody's business. <laughs> as for me, uh, my daddy, as you know, was a Danish baker that came out of Denmark and out of socialism into America and did really well as a baker. But he made what they used to call Waldorf Astoria cake, red cake. So I got to say that I, I shouldn't be addicted to sugar because I'm married to a nutritionist. And so I don't get to eat it much, but it is really delightful. Red velvet cake is beyond spectacular if it's made by a culinary artist. Sorry if I'm laughing. Did all that make sense? Oh, it did. It did. Love it. And love your favorite foods as well. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I'm hungry. <laughs> Mine's, uh, it's actually a lentil soup that my mom makes and it's, it's totally delicious. And so that's my favorite food of anything else in the world. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. What's your favorite music? You know, for me, I love these sort of what I would call epic compositions like done by David Foster, you know, these beautiful productions. He produced Whitney Houston. He produced Celine Dion, Barbara Streisand. I just love that. Josh Groban. 
I mean, it's just music that really moves me. I, I'm going to add to that and say that we won the Horatio Alger Award, as you know, which means we've come from rags to riches, been a little excessively philanthropic. And David is with us. But the story that your listeners won't know is at 13, he got kicked out of school. And what, what's true and why that's important to what we're doing here about asking is that no one asked, what's your talent when you're 13? You don't know math, kid. You don't know reading. You know, you're out of here. And then at 13, he produces Barbara Streisand's most magnificent hit ever. And how do you predict that what he did and his best friend, Quincy Jones, is also on Horatio with us, could produce Michael and everybody else? I get goosebumps telling you that. And the reason I'm doing that, Abhijit, is not for me. I'm doing it to say every one of you has got some spectacular superpower. I can't tell you what it is. But if you read these questions, you'll find out and you'll unfold and find the greatness within. And when you find the greatness within, you go to your destiny, which is the subtitle of the book, right? Because everyone's got one. And if you're alive, still you've got it, no matter whether you're young or old. Oh, that is brilliant on so many different levels and just shifting gears to asking. You know, many people who would look at you would say, oh, those guys are lucky. But I would argue that, right? I mean, people would look at you and say, oh my God, they're so lucky. They came from, you know, they had a very difficult journey, but they're not so successful. They really got lucky. But I would argue that part of that is understanding who you really are and what your, what your gifts are that you can give to the world. And what you just said, which is, hey, are you good at math? How are you good at this, that, and the other? Asking that to an average 13 year old, that's a very hard question to answer. But to sort of discover yourself is basically this journey of asking the right questions, which you brilliantly talk about in your book. And so, just on that, there's seven roadblocks to asking. One of my favorite ones there was, and I'll try to quote you a little bit there, which is when we are asking, we sometimes fear that we will lose something, either that's love or approval or dignity or credibility. How can, how can one get above that, get beyond that and ask the right questions, the tough questions? Because once we start asking those questions, we get the answer, but, but the, this act, this, this difficulty of asking that question is sometimes what holds people back. Right. It's such a good question. And that's why we talk about those roadblocks, Abhijit, because everyone has them. If not at least one of them, probably more than one, right? But the important thing is to recognize your roadblocks. And we have some incredible stories about, you know, the roadblocks. And stories are interesting. They're metaphors for our own lives. Metaphors are just patterns that sort of that our brain can follow because our brain really thinks in patterns. But I think as far as the fear factor, one thing that gets us past that is understanding the truth. Because when we're fearful of, of asking, it's because we're not understanding the truth. We have a perception and it's a flawed perception. And in the studies that we did, that we looked at, the research that's been done on asking, people like going into the study felt like if they asked someone for something, either advice, help, something, that they would either be perceived as being stupid, ignorant, uninformed, or that they were being pushy and obnoxious, you know, asking for something. Mm. And the opposite is true. If you're willing to ask someone for something, you're 80% more likely to have your request granted than if you don't ask. So there's not, not much to lose there, is there? But 
So if we, if we understand the truth of it, it's not what it seems. It's not, we're not going to be rejected. Now, someone may say, may not be able to grant our wish or accommodate us. But the important thing to remember is it's not about you. You know, we're all a little bit narcissistic. So we personalize everything like, oh, they don't like me. They hate me. And human beings need love. We all need, desperately need love and approval. So sometimes when we get that rejection, it feels like, love or approval has been taken away but we have to remind ourselves it's not about us they just what for whatever reason it has to do with the person we were asking they can't grant our wish at that time and that's okay it's a very neutral experience if we understand that and so it takes away a lot of that fear and sometimes we just have to step on our fear with this good dose of courage and we have some incredible stories can i just share one little story from the book do we have time Absolutely. This is a great example. So this woman named Lynn Marquis came out of college wanting to go, knew that she wanted to go into the, the nonprofit space. So she put together, very quickly, she put together this camp for disadvantaged children because she wanted these children who, whose parents don't have options usually to, to deal with them in the summer. She wanted to put a really rich, full camp together for them that would be a great experience over an extended period of time and offered so much value. Well, then she needed to get you know financial support for it. So after a lot of effort, she got an appointment with the richest woman in her city who controlled a large family trust. And so she said she showed up for the appointment at this woman's beautiful office, and she was so nervous. She, was, she said, I was visibly shaking. There was no hiding it. So she said, I just fessed up, you know, just said, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm really honored to meet with you. So please forgive me. I'm really nervous. And of course, the woman was so nice and so gracious and said, sit down, you know, let's tell me what you have. So she sat down, explained the camp, the benefits of the children, how wonderful it was going to be for these children to have this experience provided for them. And the woman asked, okay, so how much are you asking for? Again, she got terrified because she was young and she never asked for money and it seemed like so much money. So she said, she goes, I literally started stuttering. And I said, I, I'm asking for $5,000 because that's how much it costs for one camper for the summer. And the woman looked at her and said, okay, but how many campers do you want to have at the camp? And she said something like, you know, 285 or something like that. And the woman said, great. I want to underwrite all of them. How much will that be? And she was, Lynn was so stunned that she, she said, do you have a calculator? I don't even know. Because this woman, she was so scared to ask and so afraid of the rejection. It just seemed so big and so outrageous to her to ask for $5,000. This woman so far exceeded what she had been asking for. And that's, that is such a profound lesson for all of us. Because if we're not willing to step on our fear, even intense fear, even stuttering fear, right? Um, stuttering, shaking fear. If we're willing to step on that fear with some courage, you never know how magnificent the answer will be. And it might so far exceed what, what you expected. So again, you have everything to gain and nothing to lose. You literally have nothing to lose. That's brilliant. And the truth will set you free. Yes. <laughs> yep. You know, a lot of our audience members are either in corporate America or they're entrepreneurs here in Silicon Valley and beyond. And in, in a part of the book, you talk about the asking strategy to know more about your customers. And rather than sort of telling your customers what you do, what's your product, what's your technology, 
what's your service? Rather than doing that, ask customers, what do you do? And it's really fundamental to understand them. What are their problems? How can you help? What does the ideal scenario look like? Can you share a little bit about that asking strategy? Because that's so fundamental. And sometimes it's a disconnect for a lot of smart people. They have great products and services, but they're not asking in the right way. Boy, is that true. We got a great partner named Preston Weeks, and we go into the biggest mining company here in Arizona, which will have to go on name. And we sat down with them, and, and we found out the day before, the biggest $64 billion company had been in, and they just did exactly what you said. Well, I am from MIT, and now I am small, so then you and I will tell you the way the world works. And they kicked them out of the office. So we decided, and, and Preston is so such a genius. He said, well, just tell me what it is you guys are doing. And I mean, you guys are doing this great copper business, but what is it you really want? And, and we just sat there and kept probing questions, you know, endlessly. And pretty soon they said, well, this is what we want. This is how we'd like to work. And this is, you know, and, and they loved us and they didn't want, they said, can't you guys stay? And, and it's because you ask questions because questions make the buyer feel important and they really want to tell you what they want, but you got to start with questions. You don't come in and say, here's my offer, take it or leave it. And, and if you don't take it, you're an idiot. No, no, you can't do that. Right. And I just want to add to that, you know, you have to start with rapport. And again, human beings, all of us are kind of narcissistic. We start to go, okay, I've got all this great stuff. I've got this great presentation. I've got this amazing product. I've got this amazing service. They're going to love it if they just understand everything I've got to give them, right? And I'm just gonna, I just need to really communicate that as much as I can and make sure they understand me and my product and my service and how great I am. And that is exactly the opposite of what will bring you success. Like Mark was saying, you know, you literally have to go in and you have to create rapport. And the way you create rapport is going back to being curious about someone asking about them because there's no way you have to understand the context into which you are going to sell if you don't start by understanding that context by you know creating rapport understanding how they think feel their pain points what they've suffered what their sacrifice there's so much you can learn by asking those questions and if you don't ask them it is like you're selling to a brick wall it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere, truly. And if you just start asking those questions, you almost can spend very little time with what you have. I mean, you want to give a brief overview of what you do, but then go right to the questions, right to the questions. With that particular group, when Preston was probing them more, it was amazing because when he started out, he said, you know, they, they were really holding things close to the vest. And then by the end, when he started exploring, you know, he asked some really interesting questions about, you know, the management style and is, are there any conflicts within management that make it difficult for you to do business? And they started revealing things that they otherwise never would have. And then and they started saying things. He said, like, you know, we shouldn't be talking about this, but you know, <laughs> da, 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 da. and all of a sudden you learn so much of your client. And so then you, then you have this bond. Asking questions creates this incredible bond. And now you know each other. And in the studies that we did, it also shows that in business scenarios and in personal relationships, the more questions you ask, the more likable you are perceived to be 
And in dating scenarios, you're more likely to get a second date. <laughs> you're a better question asker. Right? Just one hitchhike. When we started this little thing, you and I have never, we've never met, the three of us. And what did we yeah. do? We asked you questions about India, and you didn't know that I'd been a student ambassador to India and, that, and loved the place and, and asked you about the different places. And what happened is it, it wasn't to snow you. It was that I've done my homework on you just like you've done your homework on us. And, and what happens is you can relate to people. I get goosebumps telling you this. Questions are the answer. Now, that's counterintuitive because, you know, no, no, no. I'm going to tell you what I got, <laughs> and you're going to like it. You hear it? i got to show it on your door. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant on so many different levels. And, you know, just a few more questions here. So, you know, those questions makes a ton of sense. It helps you succeed in business and in uh, personal lives. Uh, a lot of people are starting to chase this idea or this concept of scale. I want to scale this. I want to scale my business. But at the end of the day, it seems like business is done between people. You know, those conversations are had between people. Absolutely. And how, how do you see sort of this whole, I would say, philosophy or generation that's starting to look at things that are more scaling, more digital versus really asking and connecting and really truly forming a better network for yourself, a network that is actually going to be fulfilling for yourself and you are creating value for that network versus saying, you know what, I'm just going to spray and pray. I'm just going to reach out to as many people as I can electronically. And so there's quite a bit of that going on, especially right now. Right. I, yeah, there, there is a lot of that going on. And, and one thing we're finding is quizzes. Quizzes are a great way to reach your audience and to connect with your audience. I, I think no matter how big you want to get and, or how much you think you want to scale up, you better get to know your audience along the way. You better care about their, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and be asking for feedback in, in any way that you can, because the results are going to be better. They're going to be more lasting. So we believe breakfast, feedback is breakfast of champions. And when we did chicken soup for the teenage soul, which I think every teenager should read that to their parents because today they're in house together and not getting along based on what we're hearing. I mean, we got five kids and six grandkids. So we're pretty clear what the experiences are, except our kids all love us. Thank God. Knock on wood. Anyhow, the, the, the point is, when we did that, our publisher said, you guys are blown at this time. I got teenagers. If I see these kids in clothes, and when they go to the mall with $50, I say, what happened to it? And they said, the mall ate it. I said, that's okay. So what we did is we interviewed all the teenagers, and then Jack, Dr. Canfield, and I had written all the 250 best stories. You know, we winnowed it down. We read 1,000 to find one, but we had 250 we thought were great. We, did, we partnered with Nickelodeon electronically, and they went out to 12,000 kids and said, look, make this story. Tell us when it's great, and, and we're not going to have a name on it. So it didn't have Mark Victor Hansen on it. It didn't have Art Buckwald, famous names. They didn't know who the story was. The story had to stand on its own value, and that book sold $19 million the first year. Why? Because we tested it. It worked, and that's the same thing we've done with, with Ask. We tested it on everybody, and we literally – Back to your question, we've asked everyone for help. And you say, well, would you ask kids for help? Yeah, we got a kid. I, I got to let her name on name because I don't have permission to tell you her name. But she's at a major university. She's doing communication. She is great. She has done things for us that I can't even believe to every one of her sorority sisters. She's doing it to everybody in America. She's written, she's written the bookstores and said, you need to do podcasts with Mark and Crystal around the world. And I thought, holy cow. I, you know, she's a, a treasure. 
and when I'm back to back to the whole thing about David Foster and, and Quincy, both guys who didn't make it, right? I mean, Quincy got kicked out of school and buddied up. I didn't tell you with Ray Charles and Ray Charles said, kid, you got real talent. You orchestrate this. And I'm a really good kid on piano. <laughs> the point I'm making is that a lot of these kids, if they do what you said, build the relationship capital and, and stay glued, the, we are in a most unlimited time, right? You had to read in high school, probably what we read, it's the best of times and the worst of times. No, it's the best of times if you're awake, alive, enthusiastic, and tuned in and turned on and know how to ask. A hundred percent. Mark and Crystal, you guys are incredible. <laughs> thank you. Seriously, thank you so much for your time. And Ask is such a phenomenal book, especially in today's time when we need to take a step back and really learn more about ourselves, about the opportunities that are out there for us, quite frankly, waiting for us. And Mark and Crystal, thank you again. How can someone follow you and get in touch with you? Do you guys do LinkedIn, Twitter? How does it work for you? Yeah, so I'm Crystal Dwyer Hansen on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Crystal Dwyer Hansen. And then of course, Marcus, Mark Victor Hansen, all of the above, all the social media outlets. So we love, we love connecting with people. We truly love hearing. I try to get in there and try to personally like talk to people as much as I can because I love feedback. I love knowing people's lives and what they're, what their pain points are, what they're thinking. To me, that's everything. And when you're able to do that, I really think you build not just customers, you build advocates for your products. And, but it has to come from a sincere place. And for us, it, truly, sincerely, we want to make, help make people's lives the best they can be. And then you can go to amazon.com, obviously, for the book. And then we're, we're going to be having this little kind of book club, private room, book club discussion. If you go to after you get the book on Amazon, go to askthebookclub.com and join us. We'll send you an invitation to the book club discussion. And what happens is we're going to answer for free everybody's questions. So, and then the other thing is if you go to markvictorhanson.com, you get free stuff. You go to crystal, you know, visionlife.com, you get some free stuff. So we really want, we want to help everybody become infinitely more successful. And it's doable by a change of mind and a change of heart based on asking good questions. And Crystal, we'll put those URLs in the show notes so that all of our folks can get to it. And they will also go to askthebookclub.com so that they can get their questions answered. And Mark and Crystal, thank you so much for connecting with our audience. Career Nation, this is the most successful publishing franchise on the planet. Mark and Crystal, thank you again for being on the show. Our thank pleasure. You. Thank you. Our pleasure, Abhijit.